You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. Thank you for tuning in to the Drawing Board Podcast. I am your host, Andre Ebron, the founder and the host of the Drawing Board Podcast, the author of the powerful thought-provoking book, The Drawing Board, and of course, one of the hosts of the annual The Drawing Board Experience, where guess what we're going to talk about? Family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. I want to give a special shout out tonight to all of our corporate sponsors, Ebron and Associates, which is a consultancy which consults, develops, and supports personal, professional, and organizational transformation with the vision of leading individuals and organizations from effectiveness to greatness. I'd also like to give a shout out to our other corporate sponsor, the Viger Group. The Viger Group has a mission uh, to build lucrative business investments in areas of industry in which they are personally passionate. TVG, better known as the Viger Group, must continue to be synonymous with both innovation and creativity. Their products and services are a living testament to their management team, and therefore they take great pride in their work. Here are five domains that you can focus on when you're thinking about the Viger Group. Uh, To be creative and innovative, to aim for product excellence, to bolster the image of our brands with passionate determination, to act as entrepreneurs, and to strive to be the best in all they do. We thank them for their sponsorship because it makes the Drawing Board Podcast possible. Tonight, like every single night, I promise you to bring you quality information from quality guests. And I'd like to welcome to the show, let's give him a Drawing Board welcome, Brother Harrison Shelby. Welcome to the show, my brother. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm um, glad to be on tonight um, and have some fruitful discussion. Absolutely, man. I'm glad uh, that I have the opportunity uh, to converse with you in this format. We've had an opportunity to exchange here and there when we saw each other in public. Yeah. But this will be, man, what we're going to dive into what I believe, man, is the heart of why it is that you do what you do and how you've been such an effective community organizer and advocate over the last years. Now, I know I'm going to introduce to some and present to others, but let me talk about who Brother Shelby is. Brother Shelby is a community organizer, mentor, and servant leader whose aim in life is to build power in his neighborhood. Harrison is currently serving as the Youth Engagement Coordinator at the Detroit Phoenix Center a nonprofit organization that works with youth that are at risk or currently experiencing homelessness. So we want to give a shout out to Courtney Smith, the founder and executive director of the Phoenix Center. She's scheduled to be one of the guests coming up soon, my brother. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, sir. And so you have also served as a community liaison at the University of Michigan Detroit Center, helping the university build relationships with community-based organizations in Detroit. And prior to your current role, you served as an engagement coordinator at Brilliant Detroit, another nonprofit, on building kids' success neighborhoods. Let's break it down, Brother Shelby. 
and all of it sounds like you are the the quintessential liaison. You connect people in the community to the resources necessary to live a qualitative life. Yeah, um, I've been blessed and fortunate to have um, opportunities to work with organizations uh, that are in the trenches uh, doing work uh, in the community, connecting uh, people to resources and um, building that collaborative and not working in silos amongst organizations. So that's really been I've been blessed to be able to do that in multiple um, you know, places. Oh, man, that's amazing. So at the drawing board, man, we always want to get to the why of the thing. So please explain to me your journey. Like, why do you have such a passion to, as you say, build power in your communities? What does that mean? Well, to me, building power is it's a paradigm shift. You have to be able to look at it from multiple angles and also understand that, um, a lot of the things that we need in our community is already there. A lot of untapped potential. Um, and sometimes it also takes um, us to realize, um, you know, working with organizations to figure out the problems. And a lot of the solutions can come from within the community. And um, just getting people to realize what like, the power that we have, I guess. I mean, yeah, it, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Could you give me some examples, man? When you say that essentially the power is already resident in the community, untapped potential, and then you said that uh, it's about shifting mindsets and paradigms uh, to look at knowing like that the solution is already within the community. What are some examples of like power that is already resident in our community? Well, we 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 talk. Well, we're in a huge election year, and they always talk about you know, does my vote count does it does it matter and the answer to that is yes and if we think about it um collectively we hold the power for to hold decision makers accountable um we have the expertise um when it comes to the issues that affect our community we know firsthand um what we want to see sometimes we not we're not able to um i guess we haven't tapped into our to really uh, making our voice heard. And um, I think also um, different organizations that come in and think that they have the solution and the solution is, you know, with your next door neighbor with, you know, um, you know, it's just, it's just, um, it's, we have it out there, you know, it's sometimes hard to tap into, but um, we see block clubs and neighborhood associations and things like that. Uh, that have been doing the work for for years, um, and as a young um, community organizer, I've gained so much wisdom learning from the elders within the community and how to take the baton and finish on this work that's happening. That's good, man. Now, why is this work important to you personally? I've watched just as a little boy. I've always been interested in like uh, volunteering and. Um, my parents instilled in me two paramount um, principles, um, you know, just being able to be the ability to give back and, um, you know, learning education. So um, being in the community, I've always been out at the different meetings when I was younger and, you know, taking this knowledge and sharing the resources. So it's just been something that at, at, at the heart of who I am. And, um, 
you know, being growing up in the church and things like that, it was important for me uh, to help others. It just was, was instilled in me since, since I was young. Okay, so it was just a, a naturally developed uh, potential within you to serve others. Yeah. Oh, that's good, man. So I heard you say growing up in the church. Go ahead, man. I'll let you shout your church out. Where do you worship? Um, Apostolic Renovations Ministries International, uh, Apostle Austin G. Mitchell Jr. Um, used to be Villa De La Rosa back in the day. Um, okay. Yeah, I've been associated with him for uh, over 20 years. Oh man, that's great. So that that's nearly that's nearly most of your life. Yeah. 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 So that's what fair. where do you in what capacity do you serve there? Um, I don't serve in an official capacity. Uh, we've uh, but I've have done some uh, work. Uh, trained as a deacon and um, also um, helped with uh, youth Bible study taught classes before and um, yeah, just. Looking to do, and also, uh, we had me and my mom had uh, worked with our nonprofit arm of the of the church, and we were doing some things with feeding um, people in the community. Because um, I had started, also had started a food pantry at Henry Ford College, right? Uh, when I was in school, and then we I, um, we took that to the community and started an initiative uh, called Feed Three Sixty Five, focusing on feeding the people in, in our community, and not just like going to areas like cast corridor or certain places because um anybody could be hungry anybody could be facing the challenge um and just broaden that 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 whole thing providing more resources that's good man i have a question for you as a liaison how do we get uh these nonprofit organizations uh for-profit for-profit companies corporations and um the church which also operates clearly as a nonprofit. How do we all get all of them um, to coalesce and build community? Because I think that's important that if we get the faith-based arm, which provides hope, if we get the nonprofit organization, which provides a direct resource, and if we get the, the corporate, the corporations to come in and provide some type of infrastructure to build, how do we get them all speaking the same language and for, for the common cause of building up the individuals that reside in that community. How do we do that? Um, it's simple. Removing the ego that's there. Um, and then it, 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 well, it sounds simpler than what it is, but really uh, removing the competition that, because um, some of the times we're fighting for the same grant dollars and um, different pots of money. But if we focus our goals and our and our collective interests, um, I think that's that's a start. Um, getting everybody that uh, at the table is going to take um, cross sectors. Going to take you know the faith based community is going to take the nonprofit is going to take the foundations is going to take uh, government. Um, um, right now, I'm seeing a great example. I'm serving on the uh, the task force. Um, on uh, youth homelessness for the city. Okay. And we have a number of different people at the table and different systems, um, all focused on one issue. And um, we're looking to put together a plan to go after uh, a grant uh, with HUD. Um, and so I'm just seeing, actually today we were doing, um, before this call, we were doing system mapping. 
and really just figuring out everything that's already there and not trying to recreate the wheel um, and building off of what, what's already out there. So I'm seeing, a, I'm, but now, right now, I'm seeing a lot of uh, cross-system collaboration in many different spaces. Um, I've been fortunate to see. Um, yeah. Do you think that uh, the pandemic of COVID-19 is going to change the way that these organizations interact? Definitely. Um, it's, it's definitely causing us to have a plan in place. And it's uh, also changing how, um, you know, just how we operate within the space. Uh, do we always need to have these in-person meetings? Um, is these Zoom meetings effective? You know, um, just it's a lot to consider. Um, and, you know, um, even at the Detroit Phoenix Center, we already respond. We already a, a crisis response. Um, organization for the youth that we serve, but it's changing um, how we uh, do our programming. And so looking, um, we ran, a, we run a drop-in center, but we're not able to operate that during this time. So how do we provide resources to the youth that we uh, serve? Um, making sure that we are still having, uh, putting up um, content online and things like that. So it's really challenging organizations to think about how they operate and how they're going to do this going forward. Right. Yeah. I saw, uh, I follow you all on Facebook and I saw how the Detroit Phoenix center was partnering with enjoy Detroit and some other organizations to, um, get food out. And you guys were really out there on the front lines, uh, you know, really, uh, hand to hand, face to face. I love grassroots work. I love it. Uh, just because uh, it, it takes that um, it because it's that eye level view. You know, it's difficult yeah. to look a person in the eye and not see the real material, not the real material need. You know, uh, it's not yeah. a high rise view of the circumstance and situation. It's boot to boot, boot to concrete, face to face. I'm looking, I'm looking at you and what you really need, and I'm going to do my best to assist and serve. Now, here's a question I have for you, man. How do we, uh, and use particularly as a liaison, how do we move a person from crisis to stability, um, you know, with, yes, providing their direct need, but how do we move them along that process of recovery from crisis to wholeness? In my experience, um, you know, just based off of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, when you're when you're working with someone, meeting their felt needs first, you know, food, uh, clothing, things like that, then you'll be able to engage in um, that's even how I approach the political process. Even when I'm going out talking to people, I'm not asking, are you registered to vote? I'm you know, I want to know how can I help you? And then we, we move up the, the ladder to, to, to uh, getting you self-sufficient and things like that, because it, 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 and it's on all correlate because if a person um isn't thinking about uh where their next meal is coming from or they have a a safe place to stay then they can focus on and see how it's also connected to policy and other things like that and um just being there and being transparent and making sure that they can be vulnerable with you so absolutely so looking at uh, go ahead Oh, I was even saying um, some of the projects that I'm working, I'm working actually with a group of young people who've had lived experience 
um, in homelessness and, and overcame over um, traumatic obstacles in their life. And now they're focused on uh, creating, pro- uh, creating um, you know, community projects and working on advocacy. We actually, uh, right before the uh, shutdown, we were in Lansing uh, advocating with the lobbyists. And this is the first time some of, this is the first time they've ever been to Lansing or um, been a part of, like, advocating uh, a group of young people that have, uh, are now, were homeless, now are in college, have jobs, and are self-sufficient, are advocating for others. And they also created a project where they're wor- creating resource corners in the schools so they can have food and hygiene project products and other um, information. So um, seeing the resiliency of young people that have been through some things, including myself, I've been through some things, and using that as a call to action to get others engaged and to create change and have impact in the community. I think that's that's very important. It's a large part of my work that I work with the uh, youth and our youth action board. Oh, that's awesome. So you turn your pain point into a purpose point. Yes. That's yes, because so God can get the glory and, you know, and testimony out of, you know, the things that you've been through, how that's going to, you know, other people can watch, see your life and get a, you know, a small glimpse of hope to be able to overcome their obstacles. Yeah, true. So, man, what are what are some of those things, man, that God has gotten the glory out of your life that makes you uh, impactful in the work that you've done? particularly with you? Um, well, some of the challenges um, that I had to overcome, you know, um, while I was um, in school, I actually got sick randomly back in 2016. And this is the time that I had, I was meeting with administration and they had an idea for a way to help um, youth on campus. And at the same time, I had been in prayer about uh, the youth that were around campus that didn't have anything to eat. And I was like, this is crazy. And I started to bring a little bit of extra food with me. And I was talking to one of my uh, classmates um, and I was like, man, we need to do something. And I was about to write up a plan and the student activities coordinator actually, sorry about that, uh, had reached out to me and said the university, I mean, the college wanted to uh, do something around hunger. And so we met and then, um, I got on board, helped them take it from ideal on paper to uh, the Hawks Nest uh, at Henry Ford College. And then that January after break, I got sick, ill, um, didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, ended up finding I had diabetes, um, almost went into a diabetic coma, uh, had a flesh eating bacteria infection going on in my body. And the doctor said if I didn't go to the hospital, I would have one hour left to live. Mm. And end up having four surgeries. Um, and then before that, back it up just a little bit. Not going to take too, but um, no, you're my good. mom, she, my mom, she was working. She's an educator and she was working at Southwest Solutions at the time. Okay. And I had told her um, the Holy Spirit revealed to me it was time for her to walk away from that job. And in the natural, she's like, man, how, how are we going to survive? We, you will. Know, I need this. And I just told her release it. So a couple weeks later, she did. So that was um, back in December, November-ish, and um, this January now going into 2016, and I get sick. So we don't have medical insurance to cover my bills, and I'm I'm also just started this uh, this new endeavor at the camp at the campus, 
supposed to be hiring and grand opening. I'm in a hospital trying to write a grant, you know, not even worried because I, my faith was I'm getting out of this. I'm, 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 you know, my faith never wavered. And um, I just remember the Holy Spirit telling me um, that this is going to hurt. It's going to challenge you to, to, to are you going to trust me throughout this whole experience? And I remember I happened to adjust once I got out of, um, soon as I got out of the hospital, I went back to school and work that next week, that following, that Monday, um, running the organization, school. I was working another job at Michigan Roundtable. Um, I decided to run for precinct delegate. Um, it was just a lot going on, but I, and still trying to feel, uh, heal physically and, you know, really getting it. And then out of that, over a hundred thousand um, dollars in hospital bills, they decided to to cover it. My mom's oh, old job, old insurance. Yes, sir. So believing that God is my provider, He's gonna heal my body. That that's not gonna stop me for you know from being out here and serving the people. You know, uh, we did a lot. Of, I did a lot of great work that year, and I just remember my faith never wavering. You know, and him, for him to, you know, for nobody to even understand or everything that was going on at the time and just to see people were, you know, winning awards and out here in the community doing different things. But, yeah, um, I've, I've been through some things where I can just, you know, you know, but God and he's, he's awesome. Yes, he is, man. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. You know, you know we call those, man, we call those drawing board moments. So. If I had to fully define what the drawing board is all about, man, it's literally uh, from Revelations chapter 12, verse 11, for we overcome what? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Our, our testimony. So, mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So my goal, man, is to share as many testimonies as possible so that it does two things. A, it empowers the person because the same anointing that was there that was resident uh, with you as you overcame sickness, as you overcame what looked like it was going to be insurmountable debt, as God delivered you and you em- empowered you to continue to do the work, uh, that it releases that anointing so that people can receive of it. Uh, the second yeah, thing even, what it does, go ahead, brother. I was just saying, even in uncomfortable experiences, it helps us stretch, reach, and grow into our greatest potential because in our difficult moments, if you can trust God and lean on him, then he'll yeah. lead you through. He and, that, and, and, and even in this pandemic, I have, I haven't been without, you know, and I, I'm just thankful. I didn't want to cut you up, but I just, you know. No, that's good. That's good. And the second thing is um, it removes everyone's excuse for not producing. Uh, when you hear about somebody who was, uh, had they not gotten to the hospital with, uh, within the hour that they only had that amount of time to live, right? Uh, but yeah, in the yeah. hospital writing grants, right? Uh, somebody who's able-bodied, well-mind, if, you, if you're not facing that, you don't have an excuse for not producing. Uh, when we talk about somebody who's on the front line and serving through while he's still healing, uh, ran for precinct delegate, received that opportunity, uh, still working to to meet the needs of others on campus at the Hawks Nest and, and still having things going like some people don't have that much on their plate and you're still able to produce. And we know it's by the grace of God 
But what it does, yeah. it compels other people to serve and actualize their own potential. Yeah. 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 It really does. I mean, I, for me, I think about just the things that are going on in communities and some of those just things just keep me up at night. But I think beyond just having a relationship with God, so I'm, I'm praying for people, I'm praying for our community, but what are the action steps, you know, okay. um, and, and actually going out and being a church, you know, going after God's passion and those, you know, people that are hurting that need, uh, and then in, in the actual natural, they need, they need help. They need resources. They need somebody uh, that they can look at and get a little hope, even on social media, sharing certain messages. You don't know how many inboxes I get about just, man, that post touched me or this or that. And it didn't even start off as a way I wanted to be a motivator or anything. It started off as in my long, in my long prayer time and the things and some of the things that came out of it, the lessons of journaling. And I was like, okay, maybe let me post this and it might help somebody else. So just just thinking about how you can help other people has really been um, it for me. And then I've been blessed, man. I'm just yeah. When I when I think I always give each one of my guests, I give them a challenge, right? So I'm sitting yeah. here, man. And here here's my challenge to you. And generally, it's either programmatic, where it's some element of a program that they develop, or it's some writing prompt that gives breath to their testimony right so here's 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 the book that i want to give you i don't know if you thought about writing a book but here's the book that i want to give you and the title of this book is entitled unwavering okay all right and Uh when i think about your work uh it reminds me of scripture it says you know don't see that i'm hungry and not feed me don't see that i'm naked and not clothe me right and James, where it talks about you see somebody hungry and you say, Lord, I pray for you, you know, peace be as you go. But you're talking about what are the action steps to providing uh, uh, feet to your faith. Right. And so that is my that is my challenge to you, man. That's that that story you just told me about your health. Of course, there are so many details that do the time you probably didn't share, but like really, really breaking down the experience of 2016 for your family, because it takes faith. I would ask your mother, like, what, why did you have such confidence in him while he's going through sickness telling you, leave your job? You know, I would, I would, yeah, I would ask her those things. And that's something that you can unpack in that story of unwavering. Yeah. Um, you know, being connected spiritually with your parents, they are able to understand the things that you go through and you're connected on a deeper level but even that um sometimes we're not ready to move when 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 god but he's gonna ultimately push you you know to to get you to where you need to be and sometimes it's having people that know you spiritually drop that word to you know to get you to move but even in the time when um not in in truly trusting god's timing um she was able to help you know, um, helped me during that time when I was trying to recover and she was able to focus on, um, other business ideas and initiatives that she wouldn't have had if she was working full time. So, you know, you never know what's going to, what's going to happen. Um, we just have to trust God's timing. Absolutely, man. So with us being in this pandemic, man, and essentially 
Yeah. I was online. You know, I'm an educator. And so this is one of those moments where we're having to trust God's timing in a very real practical way where it is yeah. not just affect, affecting one person's life. It is affecting the entire world. And so what is some of the practical points that you can share from your experience about teaching someone how to trust God's time? It's all about relationship. All um, right. This is a time where it's isolation, but this is a time where you can be able to connect uh, with God in a way that you will never have. So it's an opportunity. I was listening to Brother Wyatt talk about this being an opportunity. Actually, uh, we grew up in, I grew up in this church that we went to together, the Via Della Rosa, actually. Um, but this is the time where you need to spend in your word, in prayer. Um, we just, you just are not promised time. And even in the natural, if it's some things that you have been, that you've been putting off, this is the time you have nothing but time. You know, if it's writing that book, if it's starting that business, if it's launching that podcast, um, universities are offering free classes. Um, different organizations need volunteers. I mean, there's so much that you can be doing. And if you look at it, once we're on the other side of this and you haven't done anything, you've wasted time. Right. I know it's a lot, but if you focus in on something as far as maybe doing a new hobby, trying a new recipe, spending more time and quality time with your family on the, on the opposite, on, on, you know, you come, this is a time to create a new norm. So everybody's like, Oh, we, it's not going back to normal. So it's time for you to focus in on something. You know, that's my whole take on it. Using this as an opportunity and not, you know, letting fear and stress come in and doubt and anxiety that, you know, and you be, and you're you're paused this whole time. You know this is opportunity. No, I fully agree. And one dimension of that that I like to add is if you think about not just what are you doing during this time, but the question is who are you becoming during this time, right? Yeah. And so the who will always take care of the what. And and it's all and it's also about who you're serving, who you're helping. Um, we may be on a lockdown, but that we're not locked out of our responsibilities uh, That's good, to our man. family, to yeah. our community, and you know, to our jobs or whatever. However, we help our out presenting in the world and helping. Right, right. Years ago, man, we did this. Uh, it was an initiative that we did through my church, and it was called uh, It's Your Serve. It was a youth initiative where it was designed to uh, you know, really activate youth, ser youth servant leadership and giving them opportunities to serve within the community. So I have a question for you, man. Uh, a lot of parents have this question. How do I mobilize my teens and tweens to take action uh, as far as in the realm of service? How do we get teens and tweens activated in the house to prepare to get them service minded? Well, it's, I think it's being able to connect service to what they're passionate about, their skills, their hobbies, and things like that. If you're able to connect with them on that level and get them to see that um, they have a responsibility or obligation to contribute something to the world. And many times they see what's going on and they have the solutions to a lot of, our pro to a lot of the problems that are going on. 
but we never engage them in a way that uh, makes them feel like what they have to offer is valuable. Um, and it, it, it's a process. It takes time. Um, I remember when I first started showing up to meetings and community meetings and things like that, my parents were like, why, why are you going to um, a meeting for, you know, uh, somebody that's a, that, uh, has a, that has a single mother? And I have my dad in my life. Why am I going to this? Or why am I going to this community meeting? Like, but I think it was just learning the knowledge and then uh, being around um, some of the elders in the community. I'm often the youngest person in the room, but it took a, it took a lot of trust. Like, who is this young guy? And you know, then they were finally you know bringing me under their wing for true mentorship, or you know, bringing me in for different opportunities and things like that. But I, I think um, really just. Uh, we have this mindset or this, I guess, these ideas about especially millennials or uh, the generation after us. Um, and there's sometimes a disconnect. And I think we can um, bridge in that is really just conversation and, uh, you know, you know, being with one another. All right. I agree with you, man. Um, I don't know what's going on. It seems yeah, a little technical difficulties. Yeah, no, it's all right. We can still hear each other, so we'll continue on. Yeah. Uh, if you had to, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, if you had to give me a bulleted list, and you may have this in your arsenal already, but if you had to give me a bulleted list of youth engagement strategies starting one to ten, what would you say? Fire away. Number one. Four. Oh. Listening. Um, listening. Oh, that's good. Okay, listening. Yeah. Number two. Yeah. Um, also, um, being able to be relatable, tell your story, how, you know, um, connecting with the youth that uh, in a way that you're relevant, if that makes sense. Yeah, so listening. Um, let's write this down. Listening, yeah. relevance. Okay, number three. Um. Uh, I would probably say uh, getting them to think critically about whatever it is, um, providing them with the next, providing them with the the knowledge, the skills um, to, you know, for them to be their best selves. Um, okay. So is for, it is it think critically or provide resource? Which one? Well, getting them to think critically first. Um, okay. And about, then for, you know, defining... Uh huh. Um, and then providing the necessary uh, resources um, for whatever it is that you're, you know, um, engaging them with, um, whether that's uh, a goal that they might have or they want to get into something, you know. Um, yeah. Okay, we're almost five. I'm no, I'm no expert in the youth engagement. No, it's okay. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm listen. I'm pulling on you. I'm pulling on you. Just because yeah. I feel you have a, uh, and I'm putting you on the spot, but you are in the trenches doing the work with the youth on a regular basis, particularly yeah. uh, youth that have gone through uh, some adverse situations. And the reality of it is, is that most of the youth that we engage today with inside of Metro Detroit have, have experienced something adverse that may skew the way that they engage uh, the older generations. So myself, I have the the privilege of being close to Generation X 
but I am a millennial. And then I'm mm-hmm. actually raising Generation Z. So I have, and, and then because I honor my elders, I've sat under so many baby boomers, right? So I'm like this amalgamation yeah. of, and, I, and I, I'm, he, I'm listening to you, and it sounds like you're pretty much of the same. So you have this cross-generational experience or this intergenerational experience. And I think that it's important that we hear from somebody such as yourself, who is a hybrid of all of these different experiences that's cross-generational. So number five, what do you think? Youth engagement strategy. We have listening. We have relevance. We have causing them to think critically. We have providing the resource for engagement. Number five. Mm -hmm. Authenticity. It really should have been the first one up there. Uh, they, They know when you're not being authentic with them. Um, I I remember a couple times where uh, some guys I was working with, you know, quote unquote, tried to pull my card to make sure I was really in this work for the right reasons before they can reveal certain things to me that was personal. So, yeah. Right. It reminds me of uh, our brother Marlo Stoudemire, right? He uh, he always will quote that Jay Z quote, and I may not get it 100% correct, but he said, I put my hand on my heart to let you know that I feel you. Real, real, recognized, real, and you looking familiar, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, authenticity or being real. What's another one? We're on number six. Number six. Ah, uh, uh, I would probably say open, opening doors for for you. Yeah. Yeah, bring it. If you don't have somebody you know, that you're mentoring or uh, engaging with, and you know that type of thing, you need to get somebody and um, opening different doors for them. You know, when you see that they're ready for different things, and, you know, exposure. Ah, there it goes. Exposure, opening mm-hmm. doors. Okay, number seven. Uh, you try me today. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, hey, listen, uh, we're gonna pull these <laughs> ten points out. We are going to get these 10 points because I think that it will revolutionize the way that people engage you. Number one, you already said that we need to listen to them. And so many people like you and I right now, we could probably call up eight other people that are in our generation or older, and we can develop a whole uh, programmatic plan on how we're going to engage youth, but not have one youth at the table. Right. And so Mm -hmm. we'll think we have this awesome plan. And it, it could it could work for our it for our benefit, but the youth will gain very little from it because it's not reflective of their voice. So you man, you're doing a great job. Number seven. Um you should operate from the from this place where you know this work is done with with for and by the youth. So like you just said, um they need to be part of the decision making. Um, they need to be part of the whole process and um, trusting them with responsibility. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna give you a two for there. I'll give you, I'll give you a seven and eight for that. So on number okay. seven, you said include them in the entire process, right? Yes. And then number eight, I'm yes. gonna give you trust them with the responsibility. Mm-hmm. All right, nine. Yes. What's, what's number nine? Nine. Challenge them to 
bring more challenge them to bring their peers into whatever it is that you know to engage their peers too since we're moving up the rank yeah no that's good challenge them to engage their peers so there comes a yeah. point in your program where it's time for expansion right and mm-hmm. a fisherman knows that in order to catch whoever it is or to engage uh, the demographic or population that you're looking for, you have to present somebody that is reflective of who you're trying to bring into the fold. And so if you've equipped them, if you've challenged them to think critically, if you've provided the resource, if you've been authentic, if you've exposed them to the resource, if you've engaged them throughout the process, if you've trusted them responsibility, now you can send them out because essentially what you're, what you're talking about here is a level of discipleship, right? Essentially, that's yeah. what you're talking about. So now, number 10, to finish us off, to finish us off, a 10-point plan for youth engagement, what's number 10? The, the elders are for counsel and the youth are for war. Okay, break really that down. Understanding that, understanding that paradigm shift, like... Um, the youth are ready and willing to get to get involved, uh, and sometimes um, the elders are saying, "Oh, we tried this, or we done this." But if we go through all these steps, then we have a we're ready to really have impact because I, I believe that you know if it's uh, people that are pouring into these young people, and we're pouring into the elders and giving them hope because a lot of times it's, oh, this, gener- it, this is a throwaway generation or whatever the case may be. Um, I think if we go through these proper steps, this is, that's really an essence, uh, a model um, for success in youth engagement and cross-generational uh, work. And I've okay. seen it done in, actually in my life, actually as a student, I had an idea when I was in high school under uh, William Washington, I know he's your frat brother. Oh, yes, sir. Um, Brother Washington, wait a minute. Yeah. Let's pause for A5 one time. Oh, <laughs> okay. Now nah, go ahead, bro. <laughs> but but really, I had an idea um, about some of the things that were going on um, in my school. And so I wrote a list of workshops and different things. I went and presented a um, presentation to the school administration. And they supported me through the whole process, how to get, how to, how to, uh, get the funding, uh, setting things up. And um, in high school, in uh, my junior and uh, senior year, I created uh, four successful student um, workshops that was led by me that I wrote. Um, staff supported me. Uh, my former superintendent, Dr. Davida Covert, um, personally gave me money for the lunch each time we had these functions. So she invested in me. Um, and it really changed the, the school culture and the dynamic. And that was really what I was intended uh, to help out um, with ideas. So I've seen it done. Um, and that's probably what's led me to, you know, want to continue to help and help other youth develop these ideas they have to change their community. That's excellent, man. If you had to credit and listen, I'm going to type this up and send this to you if you have not, um, if you weren't writing it down. But. If you walk through here, man, you have just given, um, you know, every uh, organization the keys to actually engaging the youth. And something that you said that I thought was essential that I didn't just want to gloss over, uh, and it's scriptural, because the scripture says you call on the old because he's wise, the young because he's strong, right? 
And so you were mm-hmm. talking about how the young people provide, in essence, hope for uh, their predecessors and that the older generations provide wisdom and faith to their successors, right? So how do we, and here, here's my challenge for you. It, well, I guess here's a second challenge, is how do we marry the two when it appears, and this may be a false narrative, but it appears that both generations feel like they're, that they're both not listening, that the elders feel like the youth are not listening, and that the, the youth feels like the elders are not listening. How do we cause that, that cross-generational experience to become an intergenerational experience? How, do we, how and where do we create that? Because the wisdom of the elders, it cannot, we cannot afford for their wisdom to die with them. How yeah. do we create that experience, my brother? Whew, that's a deep one. Uh, definitely, in my experience, it's been taking those, shooting your shot sometimes. If there's somebody that I want to I wanna get to know I'm sure, you know, and I've seen them um, know about their work. I, uh, you know, reach out and try to figure out, you know, have a conversation and spend time with them. But, you know, sometimes it's hard um, for people to have that level of engagement. But I think, man, that's, that's, this is a deep one. It's, it's, it's taking me a minute uh, to think really about it because um, there's no easy solution to that. Uh, I think, um we're in a prime situation for some of this to be exchanged. We, we are seeing um, in the middle of crisis, how can we respond? You know, it's what part can I do? What part can you do um, in making, you know, the world a better place sometimes. And um, sometimes the elders are just really looking for somebody that's willing because a lot of them are getting tired on this battlefield. And, some youth are ready to step up, but they feel like they're going to get uh, shot down. Uh, telling people they're not, you know, people telling them they're not ready or they don't understand this or that. Listen, man, yeah. I remember being, I moved, I've been in Detroit now 16 years. And I remember, okay. um, I remember I went to a community engagement meeting uh, after a deacon, uh, and, I, and I'll keep the, the church unnamed, but a deacon had been killed uh, in senseless violence. And I went to this community organization meeting, and the leader of the organizational meeting, man, love, powerful brother, brother who really had the community at heart, uh, man, and listen, welcomed all generations, old to young. And really, I just wanted to be a part of the movement of what was happening. And I was willing to yield my strength to those who had wisdom on how we were going to navigate this. So committee, you know, subcommittees were assigned and uh, an elder was assigned over each subcommittee. Right. And Mm -hmm. this elder stood up. We hadn't even had a chance to meet as a subcommittee. This was just the assignments that were given. And this elder stood up who was occupying a political role at that time uh, within Metro Detroit and uh, had a little bit of clout. And I'll never forget, man, being willing to serve under this leader. And he stood up and he said to the, to the guy who was leading the charge, 
He said, how dare you couple me with these neophytes? And I said, Mm. whoa. And so as a youth uh, in essentially, you know, the younger in the situation, of course, man, I could have been offended. I could have, you know, uh, divorced myself from even being in a part of the movement. But here's what I had to realize as a younger person um, is that that one person's or that one elder's opinion was not greater than what the community needed. And so you had to develop yeah. some really thick skin because, I mean, I was there ready, willing and able. And so here's kind of my sounding the alarm for the elders is that in a moment you can put a distaste inside of this next generation's mouth by your yeah. words of how you view and perceive them. Some of the greatest lessons that I've learned, and I'm going to be honest with you, has been from my children. Being a father, I have learned so much from my kids. But the reason yeah. I can learn from them is because I already perceive that there's an inherent value in what they have to say. Yeah, your heart's posture. Are you are you open to receiving, you know? Yes, sir. Because if and, um yeah, if wisdom truly comes from God, Brother Shelby, then we cannot make it a generational thing. Yes. Yes. Because and and I believe too that, you know, in my experience, my my, my gift has made room for me. Um yeah. it has opened doors. Um I've never been, you know, I have never had like a traditional um opportunity. Things were just were coming be, because of the work, not getting caught up in the titles or the awards or whatever. And I never really interviewed really for the opportunities that I've had, you know, they came organically or, you know, by one of my connections or things like that. And so it's led me to be um, in this purpose driven work and keeping the right, I guess the right um, heart posture is open to learning. And um, also in times of correction, being able to be open to that, you know, that's sometimes difficult, but um Talk about that for a second. Talk about that for a second. Times of correction. Yeah, this this time I don't get I don't get this I don't get things right, and um, being able to decipher how to respond when and and um, having adults in your well having other people having people older than you um, in your life being able to step in um, from a place of love and you know, offer you some guidance or correction and you being able to um, be accountable for that. That's being accountability is huge. Um, sometimes if you, you have to decipher wh- where it's coming from. Cause sometimes people offer you some advice, but it's not what's best for you. So you have to discern that. Um, but yeah, I've had some struggles. Um, I saw certain situations with certain people where I would consider a mentor. It really wasn't that type of relationship or um understanding that they were um wanted me go to go down a certain path and that's not necessarily you know the best path for me so um it's a mix i've had you know good relationships and some you know not so good um with others in the community uh, that were older than me yes sir you know what i found is that man most times uh people are operating with good intentions about when they have a certain perspective of your potential, but their mm-hmm. perspective of your potential 
does not always is not always equivalent with God's calling on your life. And yes. you know, I think that that having the grace to ebb and flow between the two of knowing how to receive people's compliment of what they feel directionally you should be doing because of the potential you have, but then also responding properly to the call of God on your life to serve in whatever capacity that he has assigned you. Here's something I want to ask you, man. I I really want to further develop this. We only have about, believe it or not, about seven minutes left, but I just want to get your response on this, is that you talked about uh, responding to correction. And I think that is something that is expected, but I don't think that is something that is taught because I see so many people, particularly in my role as a dean of culture and climate, what I endeavor to do is to teach young people how to, re- how, how to properly respond when being corrected. And then I also am tasked with the responsibility of teaching um, those who are leading how to properly correct someone that produces what's called in the Bible a peaceable fruit of righteousness. So, man, mm-hmm. what, are, what are some ways to properly respond to correction? That is something I'm still working on. But I think how you just talked about it in the schools and how it shows up, um, it I had to learn some things and I didn't always respond uh, to authority in the proper in the proper way. And also things uh, I was bullied uh, because of my weight in school. And so sometimes I um, at first I was like, you know, I'm talk to their mothers and things like that and try to find an equitable way out of this. But then I started fighting and resulted to being kicked out of school and things like that. And then it, and then I transformed it into those workshops and helping other people through that. So it was like, it was a process. I, it took a lot of learning uh, on my part and uh, thinking about how I probably self-sabotage and now thinking about even um, self-sabotaging opportunities because the way I responded uh, to correction or from an adult trying to uh, get me to understand, you know, what was going on in that moment. But sometimes it's just having that own, your own realization of it. And that, and that's a process. It's not going to just happen overnight. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, I would yeah. love for you to man to, to put some more thought into that. Um, and of course I'm going to extend an invitation to you. We do uh at Dawson Elementary Middle School, which is a a school under uh, the Detroit Public Schools Community District on the west side on Glendale, right down the street from Detroit Roller Wheels, like that shameless plug, put it in there. All right. (laughs) Uh, I want to invite you out, man. We do a career spotlight uh, every Friday. So in the fall, when we return to school, uh, I would love for you to come out and to share your story, uh, to share your story about overcoming bullying, uh, to share your story about uh, developing workshops and engaging the community in meaningful ways that provides material, uh, you know, uh, meets the material needs of those who uh, are going through some shortages or lack in their area of life. I want you to also come out, man, and talk about overcoming sickness, uh, following the proper examples, learning how to respond to authority. Like that's those are some of those substantive things that youth need. And here's what I believe, man, in the last four minutes as we close out, 
is that um, life will sometimes place a demand upon people who in areas of which they have not been taught. And our responsibility is to equip the youth with as much qualitative teaching as possible so that when life places a demand upon them, they can respond from an informed place. So as we close out, Brother Shelby, man, where can they reach you at? Um, you know, what are your, your uh, you know, social media handles? Where can they find you? Um, I'm on Facebook as Harrison Shelby. Um, that's my, on my personal page. Um, I can be found um, professionally uh, Detroit Phoenix Center. Um, at for my email, uh, hshelby at detroitphoenixcenter.org. Um, and um, if, if there's people that are out there that need uh, different resources, uh, our website is detroitphoenixcenter.org uh, as well. Um, and our number, 313-482-0916. Awesome, Brother Shelby. Man, I thank you for being my guest. Uh, thank you for sharing. We've been able to come up with a 10-point youth engagement plan here. Uh, <laughs> and I'll share that out to you, man. Uh, I do want to give a special thanks again to my partners, the Viger Group, who has the mission of building lucrative business investments in areas of industry for which they are passionate. TVG must continue to be synonymous with both innovation and creativity, and their products and services are a living testament of their management team, and therefore they take pride, great pride in their work. The vision is materialized in, the first, in these five priorities, fundamentally uh, shared among all of their stakeholders. Number one, they must be creative and innovative. Two, aim for product excellence. Three, boister the image of our brands uh, with passionate determination. Number four, act as entrepreneurs. And number five, strive to be the best in all they do. We also would like to say thank you to our corporate sponsor, Ebron and Associates, and a, a consultancy that consults, develops, and supports personal, professional, and organizational transformation. They endeavor to accomplish their vision of leading individuals and organizations from effectiveness to greatness. Without their support, this podcast would not be possible. And again, Brother Shelby, thank you for being on our show, man, and continue the great work. God bless you in all you do. And as I always say, your future is not behind you. It is not before you. It is within you. And I'm Andre Ebron, and this is the Drawing Board Podcast. Brother Shelby, God bless. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, brother.